As, as you, I'm sure, know, today is, or this weekend, is Memorial Day weekend. We celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow, uh, but we wanted to take a moment at the front end here, or, well, I guess we're not at the front anymore, the, the middle, and uh, really just take a minute to honor all of those that have gone before us, that have paved the way for us to enjoy the freedom and the liberty that we so readily enjoy in this country. You know, Memorial Day is is a holiday that's, uh, that, we, that we celebrate every year to remember those that have given their, the ultimate price. They paid the ultimate price, given the ultimate sacrifice for your freedom and for my freedom, those that have died uh, fighting and serving this country. And there's so, so many people, and I'm so glad that we as a nation set this day aside uh, tomorrow to honor them. Uh, because, you know, as one of the, if you were looking at the, the pre-roll video, a lot of quotes up there from, from past presidents and and army uh, and our military professionals, and one of them said that uh, we honor our those that have gone before us because we know that freedom is not free. And uh, man, no, no greater statement has ever been made when it comes to the freedom of a nation and just how blessed we are to not have had to give our lives, but we're standing on the backs of those that gave their lives for us. And uh, man, I'm so thankful that we can remember them and honor them today. Uh, I, I don't have family members that served in the military, but I can tell you that uh, I, I feel like I have so many here in my church family that have served and know people that have given their lives. And um, I, just, I just encourage you today, tomorrow, and this week, just to, to remember those people that, that you may know that have given so sacrificially and, uh, and paved the way for us. Because, you know, we would not be here today if it were not for those people. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of people that have given their life for this nation, and uh, wow, what an incredible privilege. And so uh, I would just like to, as we uh, move along this morning, I'd just like to pray and just uh, thank God, just pray a prayer of thankfulness and blessing. Uh, so if you just join me in prayer. Father God, we do thank you so much today that we live in a nation where we can celebrate those that have given their lives for this country. God, what a wonderful, wonderful privilege we have to be able to be part of their work and their sacrifice and to be able to reap the fruit of their labor. And so, God, we thank you for it today, Lord, because we know ultimately that this country is built on a foundation of you and your word. And so we know that you have sent those people before us, God, and I praise you and I thank you for it, Father God. I thank you, um, Lord, that we get to revel in, in what you have done through the men and women that have served this country so faithfully. And God, we don't look lightly on it today. It is not a token thing. Father God, we are indebted and so thankful for what those have done to make this life possible for each one of us. Thank you for liberty. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for the fact that we can come together today and worship you without fear of consequence. And God, we know it's because of you and because of those people that you called to serve this great nation. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. Well, you know, in, uh, in honor of Memorial Day, uh, you know, Memorial Day really is about remembering and honoring the faithfulness of those that have served and gone before us and have served our country and our flag and given their lives. And uh, so today my, my sermon is actually I've titled it Never Forget. And I want to talk to, this, to us about remembering because uh, God, you know, it's God's idea that we remember him, it's his idea that we remember uh, the faithfulness of people in our lives 
as well as his faithfulness. And, you know, I can tell you that the older I get, uh, the more sentimental I get about being an American and being able to grow up in this great country. You know, when I was, uh, uh, when I was younger, I absolutely hated history class. History was worse than science. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I, I used to despise history because it just didn't make any sense to me that I'd have to learn about all these wars and all these battles, all this stuff that I just didn't care about, you know, because I was a kid. And I remember one day even complaining to my youth pastor. I was probably a junior in high school, and I was complaining to my youth pastor about it because I'd had some homework and I didn't want to do it and, or a test or something. I don't remember what it was. And, and I remember what he said to me, and it stuck with me. And I don't remember his exact words, but it was something to the effect of there's no way that we can appreciate where we are if we don't remember where we were and how we got here. And man, that really, it was like, it was one of those, it was kind of an aha moment for me. You know, it helped me realize that because I literally despised going, going through history, uh, talking about the wars, all the things that, that, uh, that you have to learn in history class. And, you know, I'd say the, it's the exact opposite now. Like it's one of my favorite things to do when I have free time and I could just search whatever I want. I'll search stuff about the the wars, the, the Revolutionary War, the World Wars, all those things, because I love looking at and, and seeing the sacrifices that people made for us. In fact, there's times now, I'd say about half the time I hear the Star Spangled Banner, I get a little emotional <laughs> because I just, I'm so blessed to be part of, to be able to reap the fruit of other people's labor. And uh, man, it's such an honor and a privilege. And I just, you know, having been in, I think I was, I've been in over 25 countries around the world and a lot of these countries are very poor and oppressed, and, and to be able to see how the other, some, so many people in the rest of the world live, it gives me such an appreciation to be able to be part of this country and, and, uh, and see the hand of God that has been on this nation to bless us. And I could say proudly today that I'm very, very proud to be an American. I know we're not a perfect country. I know we don't have a perfect government. I know we don't have a perfect people. But, man, are we blessed to be able to be here. And I, I hope we all remember that, how blessed we really are to be part of this great place. And you know, I think uh, the, the, it's so good that we celebrate Memorial Day because it's so easy for us to be so short-sighted, you know, and to forget the good things that happen and, and the, the, the sacrifices that people have made in our life. And just, we're just always looking forward, you know, because there's so much going on in life. It's always, we're very short-sighted about the, the, the past. We're always looking forward. I mean, I was just thinking this week, you know, it's hard for me to remember a time where we didn't have smartphones. And that wasn't even that long ago that we didn't. You know, we had cell phones start back about, what, 2000, I think they started getting popular, but smartphones weren't until, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, and, uh, and I'm 46, so I lived 34 years without a smartphone, but it's hard for me to remember a time without a smartphone, you know, you, for you guys too, probably. And so it's so important that we set up these memorials where we can be, where we can remember those events that are so important in life that, that I believe would honor God too. And you know... It's easy to forget where we came from, even in our salvation, even in our walk with God. It's easy to forget. I know for me, you know, I've been saved a long time now. I can start to feel like I've been saved my whole life. And I can easily forget those first 18, 19 years where I lived like a hooligan. Because I just think, oh, I've just always been saved. But if I think back, I can remember, oh, yeah, I wasn't always. God, God hadn't always done this work in my heart. And it's so important that we remember the work that God's done in our heart, isn't it? It's so, so important. In fact... When, when Jesus describes salvation, it's such an epic event of such a huge monumental moment in our life that the, only thing, the best thing he could use to describe what salvation was was to talk about birth. 
He says that you have to be born again, you know, in John 3. And he's talking to Nicodemus, saying you have to be born again. And, and Nicodemus is like, what are you talking? How can I be born? How can I climb up in my mother's womb again? It didn't make any sense. We don't think anything of it nowadays for us because we've seen this our whole life. But the, the, there is no bigger epic event in anyone's life than their actual birth because everything hinges on that. If you're not born, there's nothing. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's what the Word is telling us, that if we're not born again, there's nothing. And it's so important that we remember that and remember where we came from and what God has done in our heart to make us new. And I, I hope today that, uh, that we will remember what God has done in our own lives too. Whether you've been saved for, some of us have probably been saved for 60, 70 years. And uh, God would want you to remember where you came from and where he brought you to. And I want to challenge you today because, you know, I know the last 12 weeks or so have not been a great season. But I want to challenge you today that it's during these times that when things are difficult is when we need to remember God's faithfulness. That we need to remember his faithfulness. We're remembering tomorrow we're all getting a day off work so we can remember the faithfulness of the men and women that laid down their lives for this country. But in this time of, of drought for us in our, in our world, we need to remember the faithfulness of God in our lives. We need to do it every day, but even more so during times like this. And I want to challenge you with that today. You know, last week I talked about uh, God leading the Israelites through the wilderness, you know, and I brought us all the way up to where they were just about to go across the Jordan River. Joshua was going to take them across the river, and he gave this, he gave this uh, command to all of them. He said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priests that are carrying it, when you see them get up and they move with that Ark, you get up from where you are and you follow it. And we talked about how our life is all about seeing God and following him. Well, today I want to take you a little further on that journey, and we're actually going to go across the river, and we're going to go into the promised land. Okay, we're going to go on a journey of God's faithfulness, and we're going to see how God's faithfulness thousands of years ago is just as, as good and relevant for us today in a state of pandemic in May of 2020. Okay, So I'm going to read through quite a few verses. I'm going to, I'm going to read them in little chunks and take breaks in between so I can explain it, but we're going to talk about God's faithfulness. And the first one is that God's faithfulness is about impossible odds. Impossible odds. God thrives when the odds are against us in our life. Let's read in Joshua 3. We're going to start in verse 14 and go through the first part of verse 15. It says, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood, flood stage all during harvest. I'm going to stop right there for a minute. You know, the, the, the Jordan being at flood stage, that's very interesting that the Bible makes sure to mention that the Jordan was at flood stage during this time. And that is something that we could so easily, as we're reading it, just skirt right on past it. But that's actually a pretty big deal for the Jordan to be at flood stage because that tells me that, that the stakes were high. For them to go across the river, there was no way they're getting across the river with all their equipment if, this, if, this, if the Jordan is at flood stage if God doesn't intervene. No way it's going to happen. And if you want to cross the river, flood stage is the worst possible scenario. It's almost as if God loves to wait until there's no hope on our end before he comes through. You know, I think I've read that somewhere in the Bible a time or two. In fact, I know that, that the Lord told Paul, he said, you know, that, that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Why does he say that? Why can't his strength be made better in our strength? That's what I would want him to do, right? 
Don't make me be weak, God. Let me, you know, use my strength to, you know, help me to figure out how to block this river myself. That's what Joshua could have said. God says, nope, nope. I, I, you need to see how weak you are. You need to see that your chance of getting through this is zero so that my strength can be made known in this. That's what God wants to do. Maybe God knows what he's doing, huh? Maybe there's a chance that he knows what he's doing. Do you think that God was intimidated by the fact that the river was at flood stage? No, in fact, you know what? He could have told them to go across during drought stage. The river's going to be much lower at drought stage. In fact, you know, you look here at the Savannah sometimes when we haven't had rain in a while. You can, when you cross over the I-20, cross over the river into South Carolina, you could see, you could almost walk across it at times when we've had gone long times with, without rain. Who's to say the Jordan wouldn't be any different? So God could have had him cross during a drought, but he said, uh-uh, no, no. I want you to have to need me. I want to come through. My faithfulness is about impossible odds. And maybe, maybe many of us could think of a time that God's done that in our life where you've been at the place where you said, okay, God, I've exhausted all my resources. I've done everything I've known to do. I have nothing left to do, so now I'm going to pray. And God says, finally, <laughs> right? Says, Man, it's about, I've been waiting for you to do it. So finally you did it because he likes to come through when, th when things seem impossible. Uh, Joy mentioned, we had some corporate prayer before we started. Joy mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, impossible odds. Daniel in the lion's den, impossible odds. You know, God provided these, the children of Israel when they were in, this, in the wilderness, in the desert, God provided for them, or they had impossible odds when it came to providing their own food and water. God gave them manna, just appeared every morning when they got up and gave water out of a rock. Impossible odds, that's what God wants. He wants to help us when the odds are stacked against us. And, and when I think about the fact that, you know, he didn't do it in a season of drought, he did it when things were worse, and I think, why would he do that? Why? Because he still could have, you know, he could have made it a little easier on everybody. But you know what I believe is that God wants our odds to be against us so that he can come through because who gets the glory when he does that? He does. You know, if the river was at drought stage and they figured out, they, they wouldn't even have to necessarily trust him. If it was low enough, they could have drudged through it and figured out a way to get across. And then they would have received the glory. God's saying, I want to have the glory. In fact, if you read on in Joshua, it says that the, the kings in the promised land, of all those cities in the promised land that the, the Israelites were about to capture, it says when they heard that God stopped the river so they could go across, it said their, their hearts melted and they had no strength to fight the Israelites. Don't you think all the kings in Jericho and all around there knew that the river was at flood stage? Of course they did. If their hearts melted because they said, oh my goodness, their God actually stopped the water. And they didn't, he didn't just do it at the, during a drought. He did it at flood stage. That's it. We're done. We're out. I'm going to head out. And God gets the glory. There was no way Joshua could have stopped that river. God got the glory for it. And that's what he wants. He wants impossible odds. And here's the key. He wants us to be desperate. God loves desperate people. He loves it. You know, desperate, the term gets a negative connotation, but not when you're dealing with God. When we're dealing with our Heavenly Father, He wants us to be desperate. Look at, look at King David's desperation in Psalm 63 and verse 1. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's what God wants from His people. He wants us to see, be at a place where we know we can't do anything without Him. You know, the last psalm in the book of Psalms, Psalm 150, it says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
Let every, that has never been more real than it is today because so many people have had to be on ventilators because of this virus. And we think we take our breath for granted. You talk to somebody that's been on a ventilator for a few weeks and see if they take their breath for granted anymore. They say, man, I had to pay for my air while I was in the hospital that God gives me for free every day of my life. But that's how he wants us to live, that, we would, that he would almost be our ventilator. God, I can't even breathe without you. The Apostle Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. Everything is about him. That's what God wants for us. And when we get to that place of desperation, we get to see God move on our behalf when there's impossible odds. All right, let me give you the next one. God's faithfulness is about action. It's about action. I'm going to keep reading Joshua 3, the second part of verse 15, and then verse 16. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now there's something to notice there. It says that the water did not part until the priest's feet actually touched it. There was an action that was required. Their faith and their, action, their, their, faith and their deeds were working together to see God move on their behalf. You know, God could have very easily just told Joshua, hey, make sure you get everybody up on the riverbank. Everybody, you need to get a good view of this because I'm about to do something pretty awesome. And God could have just done it. And they would have all seen it and went, ooh, that's cool. But he said, no. No, what you're going to do is the priests are going to go in the front and the priests are going to put their feet in the water. When they do, it's going to stop. Now, you imagine what would happen if the priests put their feet in the water and it didn't stop? There go the priests and the Ark of the Covenant down the river. There's ornamental robes just floating down the river, you know. But they had to do it. They had to put their money where their mouth is and let their faith and action work together. And I'm telling you guys today, some of you need to hear this. Because too often times we want God to do something for us and we think if we just sit in our prayer closet long enough, he's going to do it. Now, sometimes he will. But to say that that's just our default, that, man, I just need God to do it. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here with my hands in my pockets and I'm going to wait for God to do it. If God tells you to do that, then you do that. If he says, you just wait and you watch me, I'll do that. But you know what? More times than not, he's going to say, okay, all right, you're praying for this. This is what I want you to do. He's, you're saying, God, I got to have a new job. The job I got is not working. God might say, well, just sit tight and I'm going to take care of it. He might say, okay, well, I need you to quit that job so I can set you up for another one. There's no, there's no formula. But there's, there's almost always going to be some kind of a step of faith on our part to be able to see God moving in, in our life. And you know what that says to me? It means that our faith is scary. If you're really going to have a faith to trust God, it's a scary thing. It's easy for us to read Joshua because we know the story. We know how it ends. So it's easy for us to think, well, sure, the priests go in the water. The water's going to go shooting upstream. But for them, they didn't. They'd never seen that. You know, the ones that saw the Red Sea part, those were all, they were all dead. So here you got these guys saying, mm, I don't know about this. Faith is scary, guys. If we're going to walk in faith, it's going to be scary at times. You know, Noah committed a large portion of his life to build a boat that was, that was supposed to uh, protect him from a flood, from rainwaters that had never happened. It had never rained on the earth at that time. But Noah did it because his faith and his action had to work hand in hand. Moses had to go rebuke the king. How would you like to get that job? Hey, go rebuke that king, that one that can just say the word and he'll cut your head off right on the spot. That was scary for Moses to have to do that. Elisha had to, uh, he burned his, his plow and killed his ox so that he could go follow the Lord. And that was his means of provision. And yet for him to step out, what it meant for him to put his money where his mouth is. 
What about the friends that, that cut a hole in the roof and lowered their buddy down, their paralyzed buddy down in front of Jesus? You don't think that was scary? I mean, I hope they knew the owner of the house real well because they just ruined his roof. But there's, a, there's an aspect of when we have faith about, you know, they could have just prayed and said, come on, God, you got to heal our paralytic friend here. you got to heal him. And God said, nope, I want you to put some action with that. And he, they cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down. They didn't know what was going to happen. We know what's going to happen because we've read it a thousand times, but they didn't. And our faith should be scary. We can't always feel like we know exactly how things are going to happen because that's not really faith. We have to walk in faith. There's always going to be a stepping out. And I want to say to this, because I think a lot of times we look at, at our faith as, as sometimes we can look at God as being almost like a genie in a bottle for us. Like we're praying and God's going to do this thing for us. And, but I, I want to tell you today that, you know, God provides. When you think of the children of Israel and them being in the wilderness, and, you know, God provided this manna for them. You know, every morning they'd wake up, manna on the ground to eat. And God did this, and the, the children of Israel didn't have to do anything. It was one of those times where God said, put your hands in your pockets, I'm going to take care of it. But it was because of necessity. There was no other option. But, you know, if you read through in Joshua, when they get over the river and they get into the promised land and they're camped there, before they went into Jericho, they're just camped there and they started eating of the fruit of the land, the Bible says immediately the manna stopped. Immediately. Because God said, you know what? I provided for you this way in the past, but now I'm going to provide for you this way. You're going to have to work the land to get your provision. God still is faithful, isn't he? He's faithful in both of them. But once, he was, once the provision was there, he said, now I want you to put your action, your, your money where your mouth is, and do something and get your food. Go pick the fruit off the trees and off the vines and go feed yourself the manna. The gravy train's over, children. <laughs> and sometimes he does that for us too, doesn't he? But we have to be willing to put our money where our mouth is. So here's the key to that. And this is, this is a hard word for us to receive sometimes, but if we want to go with God in our life, we have to change. We have to be the ones that are willing to say, okay, God, I'm not going to allow my flesh to lead me. I'm not going to allow my own desires, my selfish desires to lead me. If we want to go with God, we have to change. To think that we can just be who we are and, and hope for the best and, know that, and hope that God just understands our heart is actually good and that everything will just work out, that's a pipe dream. He says, I want, when we say we have faith, faith, you know, James tells us faith without works is dead. You know, you can't have one without the other. He says, I'll show you my faith by what I do. It's important that we have that same understanding in our life. And I hope somebody gets this today because our level of freedom that we will enjoy in our life is directly proportional to our level of surrender to him. We want freedom without having to give. But freedom comes... Freedom came at a cost for this country, didn't it? For us to have the freedom we have, people had to give their lives. And so for us to have freedom in our life, we have to give our life to him. It works the same in the spirit as it does in the natural. He wants us to give our lives to him. I talked about this last week. The, the, uh, the paradox of the gospel is that uh, we're free, but we're slaves to Christ. You know What that means is we're free from sin, not to sin. We're free to surrender our lives to him. We're free to trust him. We're free to to bask in the glory of who he is. We're free to worship him. That's what our freedom is. Our freedom is not so we can just do whatever we want. Our freedom is to live for him and to serve him. So if we want to go with him, we have to change. Because it's not in your nature to do that. None of us were born with a nature to want to worship God, love God, give our life for God, and do all that. God has to give us a new nature 
when we're born again. And so we have to be the ones that change. All right, so the next one is that God's faithfulness is about the extra mile. Joshua 3, 17, I'm reading the next verse. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. Everyone say dry ground. In the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Wow. Another thing that's very easy to miss in this miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. God didn't just push the water, like pull a wall so the water stopped flowing. Because if he did that, the riverbed would have been what? Muddy and nasty and mucky. And now they could have got across. It would have been a challenge, but they could have probably got across. But God didn't do that. He went the extra mile. He said, you know what, guys? I'm going to put your feet on firm ground. And I want you to stand firm on that ground while all, and go across this river on dry ground. That's God going the extra mile. When God gets involved, when he's faithful in our lives, it's not just so we can squeak by. He goes the extra mile for us, doesn't he? He actually put them on dry ground. What an incredible, incredible act that God did, just showing his, his abundant love. He's not just, you know, grace isn't just about us not getting what we deserve. Grace is about us not getting, uh, getting what we don't deserve. They didn't deserve dry ground going across there, but God said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get you guys across there on good ground. And he says, you know, when, when Jesus tells us in the Gospels, when he says, you know, when a Roman soldier tells you to carry his gear for a mile, you know, the Romans could make a, a, a Jew carry their stuff for a mile. That was a law. They, if they wanted them to do it, they didn't have a choice but to do it. But all they had to do was go a mile. And they could drop the gear right there on the spot. Jesus said, I don't want you to just take it one. I want you to go the extra mile. The reason Jesus can ask us to do that is because God does the same thing. He goes the extra mile for us all the time. All the time. I bet, I bet most of you in here could think of a time where God went the extra mile for you. Where you said, you prayed, you needed something. And God said, not only am I going to do that, I'm going to go above that. He wants us to live our lives that way too. Because that's how he is with us. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, that, the person... The Samaritan that helped the guy that got beat up, he went the extra mile. He didn't just help bandage his wounds. He put him up, and he told, he told the, the, the caregiver, he said, if, if the money I've given you isn't enough, when I come back, I'll give you more. That's extra, that's extra mile living, and that's what God wants for each one of us. That's what his faithfulness is about in our life. And I would encourage you to remember the times that he went the extra mile for you, as if just our salvation wasn't enough, because that's, that's the extra mile. But then he does it in our everyday life as well. All right, and then the next one is God's faithfulness is about timing. I'm going to jump forward here uh, in Joshua 4 to verse 18, then I'm going to come back a minute. Okay, Joshua 4, 18, it says, And the priests came up out of the rivers. This is after they crossed over the river. Everybody crossed over on dry ground. It says, And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner, everyone say no sooner. No sooner, no sooner had, their, had they set their feet on dry ground then the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. God's faithfulness in our life is all about whose timing? His timing. It's not about our timing. He does it the way he wants to do it. it literally, the priest got back up on the riverbank and the water started flowing at flood stage again. God works in windows that we don't understand. And we have to be able to trust him in those windows. When we don't understand. You've heard it said God is never late. But you know what? He's also never early. Because he does it in his time. He's always right on time. And this is undoubtedly one of the most difficult parts for us as believers. 
to, act, to, to live out in our own lives because we are impatient human beings, aren't we? If you don't think people are impatient, just watch them get in traffic. Mm. See, the, mo- the person you think is the most sanctified can lose their mind in traffic, you know? And uh, maybe traffic's not your issue, but we all have those places where we don't like being patient. We sure don't like to wait for God to answer our prayers in his time. We want him to answer them in our time. And how many of you have, could think back of a time where you demanded God do something for you and he didn't do it in that time, and then you look back and you think, man, if he'd answered my prayer, I'd have been in a lot of trouble. All of us, because, man, we just, you know, we get that arrogance and think, well, we just know. <laughs> I know what I need, God. You need to do it for me. And God says, you need to trust my timing. Do you know if the priests had carried that ark one day earlier to the river and put their feet in the water, you'd have seen priests in robes floating down the river. Because that was not God's timing. God said, you do it when I tell you to do it. And then as soon as they got out of the water, it went back to flood stage. His faithfulness is about his timing, and we must learn to wait for his timing in our lives. All right. I know I'm moving through these quickly, but I I got one more that I want to hit on, and I'm running out of time. So uh, the last one is God's faithfulness is about remembering. And that's what we're doing today. Today is Memorial, or well, tomorrow is Memorial Day, but we are remembering those that went before us. But God came up with the idea of us remembering and setting memorials in our own mind and our heart. So I'm I'm going to come back now to the beginning of Joshua 4, verses 1 to 7. It's a little lengthy passage, but stick with me here. It says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, so these were big stones, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when, you, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. God told them to set up a memorial so they would remember his faithfulness in their life for, for years and years and years to come. This, is, this was strictly so that they would remember. This wasn't about bragging. This was about seeing it and passing it on from generations. He says, you know, when your children say, God, uh, Dad, what are these stones for? You could tell them this is where God was faithful in our life. He tells it, and that's not just for the kids. That's also for the dad reminding himself, oh, yeah, forgot about that. Boy, that was pretty cool that God did that. Because God knows that we're short-sighted. God knows we forget things quickly. And God wants us to remember, because when we remember what happens, like today, we remember the sacrifice that men and women made for this country. It, it stirs us up, doesn't it? It's always emotional. You know, there's going to be a lot of people being emotional today and tomorrow about the sacrifice that people made because we remember Independence Day is so that we remember the fact that we fought for our independence. We celebrate that. 9-11, we remember that. We commemorate 9-11 so that we don't forget what happened on that day. Every day we need to remind ourselves about God's faithfulness. And I would even encourage you today, if you have kids, like we should be talking to our kids about God's faithfulness in our life. I love talking to my kids about how God has brought me and joy from where we were 20 years ago to where we are today. Because what I do, it's good for them, but it's also good for me. Because I start telling that story, and I remember, oh, I forgot about that. That was really neat. You know, those times you think God does something, you think, God, I'll never doubt you again. And two weeks later, you're, God, are you even real? That's just who we are. 
You know, we're all like that. And so we have to set up memorials in our own hearts so that we do so that we do remember. If you have friends, tell them about God's faithfulness in your life. It shouldn't be weird to talk about the faithfulness of God to your friends. You know, in youth group, guys, talk about how God's been faithful to you. Man, if you, if, if you thought you were going to flunk a class and you got a B, talk about it. That was God being faithful to you. You're not that smart. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You are that smart. All of you. You probably should be up here preaching. But here's the thing, church. The, the stones, that, that memorial they put up, it's a small detail, but it means a lot. They put the stones in the promised land. They didn't put them back on the other side of the Jordan in the wilderness. They put them in the promised land. God wants us to be remembering what, what he did to get us to the places he's promised us. You know, we can think about us, our life in the wilderness before, and that's okay. But, you know, as Pastor Mona said many times, the, the rearview mirror in the car is much smaller than the windshield because we're to be looking forward. We're not to, when we give our testimony, we shouldn't spend 20 minutes talking about how horrible we were and then the last three minutes saying about God's faithfulness. It should be talking about how Jesus is the one that got me here. I used to be this, but let me tell you about how good my God is. Let me tell you what he's done for me. I'm going to testify that God is good and that I should still be there, but he brought me here. The memorial needs to be in the promised land, not in the wilderness, because that's who God is for each and every one of us. We need to remember God's faithfulness. Here, here's, here's one more little thing about the stones. You know, if you, if you don't catch it, you can easily miss this in, in Joshua 4. They also put a memorial, 12 stones, in the riverbed, right where the priests were holding the ark. They also got 12 stones and put them right there too. And then when they crossed over and the waters flowed back, that, the water covered that memorial. You know, there's, there's different uh, schools of thought on what those were for because it's not explained really well in the Word. But the best thing I've ever read about this memorial is that those 12 stones were put there so that during the drought, down, they would see that memorial again. And it would be reminded of God's faithfulness. We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness even more during drought. So when the river's going down and they're in drought and they're concerned a little bit about water and they see that 12 stones sticking there in the mud in the river, they go, yeah, that's right. That's right, God is faithful. You know, because who knows, those 12 stones up on the riverbank, those might have been, you know, eventually those could have been destroyed or knocked over or whatever, but nobody's going to go into the river to touch those ones in the river. So every time there was a drought, they were able to see God's faithfulness in that. Let's agree with the psalmist in Psalm chapter 36, where it says, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. God's faithful. He's faithful, but we have to remember his faithfulness in our life. I'm going to read one more verse for you that, it, that kind of sums this all up as to the why that God does these things in our life. In Joshua 4, 24, it says, He did this, all these miracles he did, he did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. The why is always for God. Uh, it's, not, it's not a popular thing to say maybe nowadays in a, in a lot of places, but even God's faithfulness in your life is all about his glory. It's because it's who he is. Now, he loves us, and we get to reap the benefits of him glorifying himself, but it's about him. He says it right there. It's so that you will fear the God, so that, so that you will revere God, so that you will honor God with your life. This is why he did. I told you earlier, it made all the other kings terrified because God did this. They weren't terrified of Joshua. They were terrified of the God of the Israelites because of what God did for them. 
He always is going to do it for himself. You know, after they crossed the Jordan, it says that Joshua encountered the commander of the armies of the Lord, is what the Bible says. And uh, it says that he immediately bowed down and worshiped. So we know from that 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 wasn't an angel, because Joshua would have never worshiped an angel. That was God himself. Most likely an, an, an Old Testament incarnate version of Jesus. And it says that Joshua immediately bowed down and worshiped him. The reason God was able to use Joshua to bring those people across is because Joshua knew who the real general was. He had conquered Joshua long, long ago, so that Joshua was able to do that work for him. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today that God wants to conquer each and every one of us, that our hearts would be totally his, 100% his. That's his desire for each one of us, church. Those of you that are here today, those of you watching online, we come to church to be conquered by God. We read our Bible to be conquered by God. We pray to be conquered by God. You might say, well, I don't really feel that way. I, I kind of read my Bible so I can, you know, figure out how I can get through this life. That's part of it. But ultimately, if you're, if you're not coming to church, reading your Bible, praying, living for Jesus in a way so that he can conquer you, you're missing the most valuable aspect of this whole life. He wants to conquer us. He, the Israelites spent 40 years in the desert so God could conquer them so that they could go and conquer the promised land. That's what God wants to do in each one of our hearts. He wants to conquer you and he wants to conquer me. And we're fighting a losing battle if we're trying to keep from letting him conquer us. If Joshua would have stood up to that commander of the armies of the Lord, the book of Joshua would have read a lot different. Joshua knew who he was and that he was conquered by him. All right, I got to close, so I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would, please. If you're watching online, just join us as we pray in a moment. The title of my sermon is Never Forget. Let's never forget the faithfulness of God. You may say, well, that, children, that story of the children of Israel going across the river, you know, that was for them at that time. Nope, that is for us today. In fact, you know, the Hebrew name Joshua translates in Greek to Jesus. Did you know that? It's the exact same name. There's no difference whatsoever. Joshua is a type and shadow of Jesus, bringing them into the promised land. That's exactly what Jesus does for us. He brings us into our place of his promise for us. And he does miracles all along the way to even get us there. You may not be able to pinpoint miracles in your own life. I promise you, God has done miracles in your life to get you to where you are today. You're a miracle that you were even born. Do you know the odds that you were the one that was born? It's, it's very, very slim. I'm not going to get into gory details about all that, but you defied the odds by being here today, by being born. God does miracles in our lives. And we are, we are asked and commanded to never forget his faithfulness in our life. The good thing about God is that all we remember his faithfulness, but there's always new things that we can remember about his faithfulness in our life. You don't have to think back 20 years to remember his faithfulness. He was faithful to you yesterday. He was faithful last week, and he's going to be faithful tomorrow. You can even thank him for his faithfulness tomorrow. That's really cool. That's how good he is. So I want to pray with you this morning. Let's just pray and, and ask God to just stir our own hearts. You know, let him conquer us and help us to never forget his faithfulness in our life. So would you pray with me? Father God, we love you today. Mm, I thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, for your mercy, 
your grace, your favor, your love, your compassion in all of our lives. It is such an incredible privilege to serve you. As big of a privilege as it is to live in this country, it pales in comparison to the privilege it is to just know you and to be called your children. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that this morning we, could, we came in to worship and we didn't have to worry about whether or not you were angry with us. We didn't have to worry about whether or not you were in this place to even receive our worship or if you'd reject it. We just can come and know that when we come into your presence, that you're there to receive us with open arms every time. God, help us never to forget your faithfulness in our life, your goodness in our life. And God, I pray ultimately, most of all, that you would conquer each and every one of our hearts. God, that we would give our hearts to you more every day. Lord, there's some of us standing here today and watching online today that are saying, yeah, I feel like I've given my heart to Jesus. I feel like I'm, I'm letting him conquer me in areas of my life. There's always another level to go. We're never going to arrive until we are with you in glory. So God, help us to, in humility, always seek to let you conquer even more of our heart. God, we open ourselves to you today. Would you come by your Holy Spirit and do your work in each and every one of our lives, God, for your glory, for your fame, and for our good. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen and amen. Praise God. Yep.